thank you very much, Kyle. It was wonderful. And good to be here on the Sabbath day. It is, uh, we had, of course, a, a very special Passover last night that was uh, wonderful. Of course, uh, everything that it means, everything it pictures. We've been preparing for the holy days coming up, you know, as far as over the last weeks, we've been preparing, putting leaven out of our home, um, thinking about our lives, thinking about where we are in life, where we are spiritually, thinking about our sin, putting that sin out, not just the leaven, of course, right? Of course, that's what it pictures, putting that sin out of our lives. We've been thinking about repentance. We've been thinking about growing spiritually. We've been thinking about putting on the mind of Jesus Christ. That's a part of these days, of course. In today's sermon, we're going to get right into it. In today's sermon, we will be briefly reviewing what repentance is in the Bible. And then we will examine three keys to successful repentance. Three keys to successful repentance. So this is super, super basic. But you know, even as basic as it is, I know for myself, I was years into my conversion before I probably applied a couple of these principles. But if, if you may have repentance down perfectly. Anybody? No. Please don't. Please don't raise your hand. If you do have it down, you can, you can leave. Uh, but I, I think this can be hopefully helpful to younger people. I think it could be helpful to those thinking about baptism. I think it could be helpful to those who have just been recently baptized, of which we've had several. I think it could be helpful to, hopefully, many of us uh, who've been in God's church for, for a while. So first, oh, the, the title is Three Keys to successful repentance. These are certainly not the only keys. These are just three, and uh, hopefully they can be helpful. So first, let's talk about what repentance is, really the the biblical use of repentance. And we'll look at one passage uh, very shortly. But really the biblical use of repentance is to change one's mind, to repent, to change one's mind for the better, heartily to amend with abhorrence, one's past sins. Those sins, to, to hate it, to abhor it, and to change one's mind for the better. I appreciate the doc- way Dr. Meredith would put it. He would say, and we've probably, all, many of us have heard him say, repentance is turning around and going the other way. We've been going in this direction. Repentance is is completely turning around and putting our life in this direction. Repentance is particularly in regard to sin. And of course, in order to repent, we need to know what sin is. Sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4. The transgression of the law. Or the breaking of the Ten Commandments. The law of God. Now let's turn to Ezekiel 18. I think Ezekiel 18 
just helps us understand God's perspective on repentance. God's perspective on turning from evil. We may, we may, you know, we could look at Ezekiel 18 and say, oh, you know, this is really for somebody who's, who's living a full life of sin. Full life of wickedness. That's certainly where we've come from. We'll see, that's certainly our nature. But each of us, even as Christians with God's Holy Spirit, again, Days of Unleavened Bread, that's what this, this pictures continuing to turn from sin, continuing to make those changes. Ezekiel 18. Again, just thinking about what repentance is in God's perspective here. Verse 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? God wants us to turn from our ways and live. Verse 27. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Of course, we know we need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in order to be forgiven. But we can't have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and continue in our sins and be forgiven. It requires this change. Verse 28, because he considers, the wicked man considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Verse 30, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Verse 31. Cast away from you all transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. God wants those things away from us and he wants a new heart and a new spirit. And again, that's partly what the Days of Unleavened Bread is about. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. God's perspective of sin, God's perspective of wanting us to turn from our ways to his ways, ways of righteousness. couple of other things to keep in mind before we get to the three points as we think about repentance. One is that repentance comes from God. God's goodness leads us to repentance. God grants repentance. And there can't be real repentance without him directly involved. We need him. And he ultimately gives it. Another point to keep in mind as we get into this. Is we need his strength. We'll talk about these points. But they can only be put to work with his strength. His Holy Spirit. His power. Helping us to change. To overcome. 
we're, we're fighting something big here. And we need his power, his strength. You know, I think about, just a little side note, I think about, you know, there's been times in our, you know, as we, we were trying to grow, we're trying to change. And I, I've thought, wow, here's the creator God who made the heavens, made the universe, made the stars and the galaxies and the clusters of galaxies, made everything that is, and he has all that power. He has more than enough power to help us change. No matter how hard it is, it can be hard sometimes. And we may fight for years. But we need God's help, His strength, and with Him we can overcome, we can repent. So let's examine these three keys to successful repentance. The first is, Again, very basic, very simple. Confess the specific sin when asking for forgiveness. So the first point is confess the specific sin when asking for forgiveness. Explain in detail to God what sin or sins you've committed that that you're coming before asking for forgiveness for. What we're trying to overcome. Let's turn to 1 John 1 and verse 9. This is very familiar. But this is a theme. We're only going to look at a couple of passages regarding this. But it's certainly a theme. And there are a handful more passages that are very direct about this. We're talking about more than just skimming over our sin when we're coming before him. More than just, more than just, I'm a sinner or forgive me of my sin, but specific about what we've committed against him. Specific. First John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David And let's turn to uh, Proverbs 28. But David, even in his prayer in Psalm 51, which we're not going to turn there, we're turning to Proverbs 28 right now. At least I'm trying to. But David, in Psalm 51... The prayer of repentance after he had murdered Uriah and committed adultery. He mentioned specifically about really Uriah. He said, deliver me. This is in verse 14 of Psalm 51. But he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. It wasn't just generic. He called out specifically in that prayer. And boy, I'm sure that he prayed more during that time than just Psalm 51, what was recorded. But it was called out specifically. Proverbs 28, again, just skimming over our sins when we ask for forgiveness, which can be easier, by the way. 
Because it can be difficult to say out loud where we've fallen short. That can be difficult. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And by not calling it out before God, we're not talking about, you know, you think about uh, some churches have a confessional booth. What a demonic thing. We're talking about coming before God. We're talking about coming before Jesus Christ and confessing to, to God. Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that we go through in gory detail every every aspect, every uh, every detail of it. But again, more than just "please forgive my sin." Rather, please forgive me for stealing, for lying, for lusting. For breaking your Sabbath. Whatever it is. And of course, uh, uh, details along with that. Just not necessarily, you know, anyways, it's between, between you and God with that. What you need to go into in order for real overcoming. I think it's interesting that even in our modern time, there's an understanding that in, o- in order to overcome a problem or in order to overcome an addiction, what is the first step? And that is to admit that there is a problem. Just interesting. God had that down years and years, thousands of years ago. You know, expressing verbally and explicitly to the creator of the universe exactly what sin we've committed, again, can be very difficult to do. Especially if we've, if we've not really done it in that way before. It is certainly humbling. It can be embarrassing. You know, knowing we did wrong, you know, in the back of our mind and we... We, we've sinned, we, we just understand that in an abstract in an abstract way is one thing, but having to admit the sin allowed to God when asking for forgiveness is far more impactful. Actually verbalizing and articulating to God in prayer the details of the sin we've committed requires depth of thought on what that sin is and a clear recognition of of our breaking his law. So when the kids were younger, when the kids were younger, and they would say, oh, you know, they'd do something wrong. Oh, I'm so sorry. We would make them, they would have to express what they did that they're sorry for. 
Or if they're asking for forgiveness, they would have to express what they're asking forgiveness for. Not just getting away with asking for forgiveness or just saying that they're sorry. So the first key is to confess the specific sin you've committed when asking for forgiveness. The second key is to meditate on that sin or aspects and various aspects of that sin that we'll, we'll talk about here. But meditate. Meditation is really just taking time to think on a topic. That's all it is. It's, it's nothing special in that way. In terms of it's nothing, you know, it's not sitting cross-legged and, you know, you know like this. It's just simply taking time to think with focus on a certain topic, without distraction. That's all. That's all it is. Nothing, nothing special beyond that. But meditation can be very, very impactful and powerful in our life, and especially even when we're talking about overcoming sin. Meditation is certainly can can be really helpful when we're fasting. That's a, a certainly a great time for it. Just time alone, time to think, time to use God's word to to study, to drink it in, and to think. But it doesn't have to be when we're fasting. We can certainly use it at any time. Meditating is a, a powerful tool to use when you're trying to overcome a sin you've been struggling with. Maybe a sin we've been struggling with for years. I mean, our nature is against God. And we struggle. So meditation can be a powerful tool against that. When we meditate, we should ask God for the mind of Jesus Christ. As we think through various aspects of the sin, of the thing we're trying to overcome, the thing we're trying to change, ask God for the mind of Jesus Christ regarding it. So I want to, we'll go through a few questions that we might ask ourselves that might guide our, our thinking regarding the overcoming, the repenting of sin. These questions can really be about any sin. They can be about whatever, uh, you know, less lustful thoughts, bitterness, hate, lying, stealing, adultery. Whatever we struggle with, These types of questions can help. And taking time to think it through. So again, a few questions here. What are the negative results of that sin? If that plays out, if there's no changing from this sin, 
What are the negative results that come with it? What happens when we commit that sin? What happens around us? What happens to us? How does it affect us? How do we feel? What type of guilt does it cause? Cause. What type of problems does it cause? How does it affect others? Some sins may not directly affect others. Some might. How does it affect others? How does it affect our relationship with others? Does it put us in a bad mood? Is that, there, there's domino effects. There's ripple effects that come from sin that God sees that he abhors and that he hates. How does it affect our relationship with others? Our friends, our family, our our spouses, our children. How does it affect our relationship with God? What are the long-term consequences of not changing, of continuing down this path without repentance? And beyond all of that, what... What do we think might even be some of the the negative results of this sin that may not be so obvious? That God sees. This is where we need the mind of Christ with it. Because He sees it. He sees it all the way down to its end. And the end is death. But boy, those sins, they cause a lot of pain and suffering before death comes. How does that thing that we're trying to overcome, that we're trying to repent of, How does it affect us, those around us? What does it do? What are the ripple effects of it? Why is it so awful? You can also take time to think through the actions of obedience to God. What are the results of actually repenting and actually obeying God in this area? What are the results of that? Here are some uh, additional questions to think about regarding the results of righteousness, the results of obedience to God. What would that look like? What would obedience to God in this area look like in life? Again, thinking this through in meditation. Quiet, by yourself, nothing else going on, taking the time to think it through. What will be the results if we obey God in this area? What benefits would come from it? How will it affect our relationship with others? How would it affect our relationship with our our spouses, our children, our families? Our friends, those around us, our co-workers. How would it affect our relationship with God? How would it bolster our faith? Let's turn to Philippians 4 and verse 8. Philippians 4 and verse 8.
again, thinking this through in regard to no longer sin, but in regard to obedience to God and repenting of our ways. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, thinking, thinking these things through, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, what is all of the good that comes from God's law, from righteousness, from obedience? What are the fruits of that? And thinking that through, taking the time, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. When we're meditating, we can think through how we might overcome that sin. Taking the time to think through how we might overcome. Think through what triggers you, if there is something. How can you avoid even the thing or situation or experience that that provided the opportunity for the sin? Thinking it through, premeditating it, about how to not do it in the future. How to not commit these these sins in the future. And preparing life for that. Making no provisions for the flesh, as it says. What actions do we need to take to avoid sinning again? For example, if a person were struggling with smoking, all cigarettes should be out of the house. There should not be any in a drawer or hidden away, just in case. This applies to every aspect of our lives. And really any any sin that we're, we're struggling with, that we're, we're trying to put out of our life and overcome. Another question we might think on, we should think on, is what should replace that sin or that wrong, that sinful habit, that sinful way of thinking or doing? What would replace it? I'll read from the, it was this last Living Church News, March, April 2021, by Mr. Weston, an article entitled, To the Overcomers. He writes, meditation is clearly a neglected tool for overcoming. Each day, consider what it is that you're trying to overcome. Remind yourself that you can do so with God's help. He continues, or says in a different place in the article, he says, it is too easy to read something without taking the time to think. That is reading the word of God. And, and, and deeply consider how it applies to the self. If you have a problem, problem complaining, consider spending a few minutes at the beginning of each day thinking about why you complain. When are you most likely to complain? What is it that you're likely to complain about? And that, and, and what you need to do to overcome that habit. Focus on overcoming the problem, ask for and accept God's forgiveness, and talk to Him candidly about this sin. Taking time for deep, quiet meditation 
on God's ways, on his word, and his laws will shape our very thinking. It will shape, it will even have the potential to shape future decisions that we make. Personal meditation will often have a profound, lasting effect on our perspective. So the second point is to meditate on the sin you're repenting of. Okay, the third point, the third key, is replace the sin with obedience. Replace the sin with obedience. In other words, replace the the sinful thoughts or actions with thoughts and actions of righteousness, of obedience to God. You know, without thinking about it, it can be easy to just want to get rid of that sin. But really, it's about turning around and actually doing the opposite of that. The opposite. Turning around and going the other way. This really takes God's Holy Spirit and the actual mind of Jesus Christ working inside of us. That's what it takes. It takes his thoughts, his mind, his power, Jesus Christ working in our minds with us, helping us, guiding us, helping us to see and navigate that in order to make the changes that we need to make. And during the Days of Unleavened Bread, I mean, this is a very principle that comes from the Days of Unleavened Bread. We don't, we're not commanded to just get rid of the leavened bread. The command is you get rid of the leavened bread. You put that out, that sin, that way of life, that way of thinking out. The command is also to eat the unleavened bread during each of the seven days of unleavened bread. Of course, picturing the mind of Jesus Christ. Drinking in of the word of God each day. Being sure to do that each day. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 5, where this is very familiar. But it is, it just, again, helps highlight... One of the main lessons from the Days of Unleavened Bread. And we'll look at verse verse 7. It says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Here it is in verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven or the the, the leaven bread in our homes, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Wickedness. Sin. 
Get that leaven out of our lives. But let's keep it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. It is the replacing of the sin with God's way of life, with that obedience, with God's righteousness. And really, ultimately, it comes down to with Christ living in us. This principle is used by Jesus Christ when he, in Matthew 4, we're not going to turn there. We can turn there, actually. Matthew 4 and verse 3. Matthew 4 and verse 3. Jesus clearly uses this same principle when being tempted by Satan. Matthew 4 and verse 3. When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be become bread. Of course, he'd been fasting at this point for 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 4. But he answered... What did he answer? He answered with God's word, with, with scripture. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 6, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down from here. And Satan quotes scripture to him. And Jesus said to him, verse 7, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He re- re- rebuts it with scripture. With the mind of God. Verse 9. He said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And the final comment from Jesus here. He said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. So this same principle used there. Let's turn to Ephesians 4. Paul talks about this principle of replacing the sin with obedience. Something's got to fill its place. Mr. Armstrong, many of us have heard him mention before about if you the the empty glass is full of air. If you want the air out of it, how do you get the air out of it? Well, you've got to replace it with something. Water. You could put water in there. And it gets the air out. It's got to be replaced. It just can't be a vacuum. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. says, therefore, this is again Paul speaking here. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth to his neighbor. So you put away the lying and speak truth. For we are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer. Don't just stop there, though. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Really, truly, the very opposite of stealing. Stealing is taking, getting from others. Paul says here, don't just not do that anymore, but work so you can have something to give to others. The very opposite. 
replacing it with the mind of Christ. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed proceed from your mouth. Our words, the way we speak, the way we talk to others. But what is good for necessary edification, building up of others. That it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of all of that. And, verse 31, I'm sorry, 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God and Christ forgave you. A totally, completely different way of thinking. And really, it's the difference between our ways and God's ways. And because of that, it, it, this principle really goes far beyond just replacing one sin here and there with one good habit here and there, or obeying God in that, in that one thing. This principle, at its core, is fully, about fully surrendering our mind to the mind of God. It is about fully surrendering to God's Holy Spirit. It's about subjugating our carnal, natural, normal way of thinking and doing and acting and being and who we are and putting on the mind of Christ and let Him live in us, Him work through us. And really it's only through then, through that, that, that we can overcome. That we can obey God the way we really need to. We're still in Ephesians. We'll look at verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former, your former conduct. Put off your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. That's what we're doing during this Days of Unleavened Bread. Putting off the old man, our old ways, that grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's turn to Romans 8. So this is about far more than just get rid of one sin, obey in one area. This is about repenting of our our very being, our very nature, which is not good. Romans 8. And verse 
verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That is just the way we naturally, normally think. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. And again, that, that, that word carnal, meaning fleshly, the just natural, normal mind, our normal selves, is uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That natural mind, it, it, it is against God. It naturally hates God's ways. It naturally wants to do the very opposite of what God's law says. That is its nature. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So by ourselves, we cannot overcome the way we need to. This is where we do need God's Holy Spirit and the mind of Jesus Christ inside of us, working in us, guiding us, strengthening us. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are in the flesh, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And we'll, we'll, we'll stop it there. Let's, we'll turn to one other scripture regarding this, and that is in Galatians 2. And Mr. Weston actually quoted this yesterday at the Passover. And of course, Mr. or Dr. Meredith, it was his favorite scripture. And this is really what it comes down to is, is changing from our whole way of life, our whole, our nature and our character, and surrendering over to God and to Jesus Christ. Galatians 2 and verse 20. It says, For I have been crucified with Christ, our old man put away, Our old man put to death, put down, put off. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, these days picture certainly putting sin out of our lives. And overcoming that sin, repenting of that sin. And the, the key that we're, we're talking about right now is replacing it with obedience. Again, as I mentioned, really at, at its core, the idea of replacing that sin with obedience is about putting off our ways and putting off our ways and putting on Jesus Christ. So the third and final point is to replace the sin 
with obedience. So in this sermon, we briefly reviewed what repentance actually is. Then we reviewed three keys to successful repentance. Confess the specific sin to God when asking for forgiveness. Meditate or think on the sin and how to overcome it and replace the sin with obedience. So as we keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread this year, let's apply these three keys as we repent of sin and grow in the mind of Christ.